Welcome to the Tales from Travellers podcast, a show that aims to share the unique experiences of expats, travellers, and those who have chosen to make a life abroad. Through our guests' unique experiences, we will explore the challenges and rewards of adjusting to a new culture, making connections, pursuing a career, or even raising a family in a different part of the world. Whether you're a seasoned traveller or new to the expat lifestyle, this podcast could be an insightful tool or just a fun distraction if you're thinking about taking the leap and moving abroad. Today I'm joined by an old friend, colleague and a fellow first-time traveller, Steph. We met in Wenzhou in China and with a high demand for English-speaking teachers, a lower cost of living compared to the West and packed with incredible sights, there's no surprise why we both decided to move out there. And with that as well, there's no shortage of things to do and see in China. So Steph, could you tell me where you are right now and what you're up to? Well, right now, Greg, I am in my bedroom. <laughs> no, that's not what you meant. <laughs> I'm living in Shanghai right now. Um, I've been here just over a year. And I work at an international school, but it's like a Chinese international school. So it's not really international, but they call themselves international. Bit more of a marketing gimmick. I think, I think that from what we've both found, a lot of Chinese schools do rely heavily on their marketing. And um, heavily yeah, on their use of Westerners. It's like the international department of a public school, basically. But yeah. the kids have to have a foreign passport to come to my school. Oh, God. But they're also Chinese, pretty much. <laughs> we nah. have a couple of halves, but the rest of them are pretty much Chinese. And where else? Because you've been Shanghai, obviously, now for some time. And we met in Wenzhou. Are there any other places that you've taught in China? No. No, just no, East 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 been around. Yeah, I did the two years in Wenzhou, and then I moved to Shanghai. I did a semester, then I went back to the UK, got stuck there for like a year and a half, and then finally made it back about a year ago. Been in Shanghai since, and I can't imagine living anywhere else in China now that I've moved to Shanghai. No, it's you, like, you, you it's And was China and teaching abroad, was that always a goal? Like looking through some, some of your history, you always had some like passion for wanting to, it looked like you had passion that you wanted to go to China or teach or at least travel, especially with a degree in archaeology. I remember that. Yeah, um, I always wanted to travel, but my, I actually originally wanted to like move to Italy or something and do some archaeology. And then I realized that archaeology is not really a stable job and don't really have much money. So actually I graduated and then I was still working my shit job at Primark. <laughs> and I was like, oh my God, this is so shit. I'm working part-time at Primark still. And my friend had actually gone to Chengdu to do an internship for two months. It's like a Generation UK uh, British Council program. And she's like, yeah, you should try it. And I was like, why not? I have nothing else to do with my life. So I signed up to go to Chengdu and I was there for two months and I just completely fell in love with it. And I was like, I need to get back here. So then I moved to Wenzhou the following year. Quite interesting. Everyone that I, I, I speak to about how, how they've moved abroad, it wasn't anything that was ever a plan, it, it, so far anyway. It seems to be a case of an opportunity that, that has arose. And yeah. would you say that's something that came to, to you? Yeah, definitely. And especially with China, like I came intending just to do a year. And then I was like, oh, one more year. And then I did it. And I was like, oh, just one more year. And I think a lot of people here do that. They're like, they don't see China as a long-term plan, but they're just like, one more year, one more year, one more year. And it's like a very hard lifestyle to give up. You know what it's like. It's very chill. You get paid well for not really doing a huge amount of work, at least less work than you would in the UK. You got loads of like travel opportunities. And so it's very easy. You get comfortable and it's like, one more year, one more year. 
and I've been saying one more year since I arrived <laughs> and I'm still here and I, I'm still saying it I'm like one more year <laughs> next year get the three-year yeah. bonus and I'm out but I don't know if I actually will be I mean do you think if you say one more year is it is now that you've said Shanghai is it are you not tempted to look for another area in China to, to find out maybe go somewhere like one of the other big places more Beijing way or would you want to move somewhere a bit more rural again like Wenzhou uh, I never fancy Beijing. Um, it's just not really been my scene. And no, I couldn't go anywhere rural. I loved Wenzhou so much. And I think that was a, a great first place to go. It was very beautiful, you know, lots of mountains. And we had a lot of like Chinese experiences that we wouldn't have had in Shanghai. Um, but since moving to Shanghai, it's, everything is so convenient. I could do whatever I want. Um, even if you don't speak Chinese, you can like do everything in English. And it's just the stuff that you can get, like the food you can get, the things you can buy, like I, there's so much stuff I couldn't even get in Wenzhou. We would have to literally drive to McSi if we wanted a Pizza Hut or like a Starbucks. We'd have to drive to McSi to get a Starbucks. We couldn't even get that delivered. McDonald's was like downtown. And now in Shanghai, everything is everywhere. You can get whatever you want. It's just too oh, so you, 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 You've given up that, that, that hard lifestyle now. Um, one yeah. thing that you and I come to say is you know, the bougie life. And Shanghai seems to be quite the bougie life. I was such a snob when I arrived. I was like, I'm not going to Shanghai. I want a real authentic experience. <laughs> and then I moved to Shanghai and I'm like, okay, I'm staying. Yeah, now you're a sellout. I'm a sellout. I don't care. Yeah. I don't care. I'm a sellout. <laughs> you can buy what, me whatever. Would you say that, what is the difference besides obviously the area location and how busy it is when it comes to teaching and working? Is there, was it quite a step up when Joe Shanghai? Yeah, a massive step up. I feel like in Wenzhou, we weren't really teachers. We were sort of entertainers. Um, we were there more as like the token foreigners. And so the school could say they had foreigners and probably charge the parents more for that. And our classes were always the least important, right? If any like event was happening, it would be like, oh, we'll cancel the English person's class. So like so many times I went to class and one of the co-teachers was like, oh, Steph, I, I forgot to tell you, like your class is canceled today. And I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> but in Shanghai, it's like, you're actually a serious teacher. You're expected to do a lot of work. Um, there's no such thing as, well, maybe some schools, but the good schools, you have to stay in school all day. There's no such thing as like no office hours. Um, you have to give homework. You have to mark homework every single day. I'm a homeroom teacher as well. So I don't even get a lunch break. I have to eat my lunch with the kids. I have to take the kids to recess. Every single break time in between classes, I have to be there for the kids. Even if it's not my class, I've got to be there for the break time. I'm responsible for their discipline. Like if they do something naughty in PE, the PE teacher will come and tell me and I'm expected to deal with it. So it's, it's significantly more work. The parents fill out like um, evaluations for us. Like, are they happy with us at the job that we're doing? Are they happy with our classes? Everything like that. It's, it's much, much more, much more of a step up maybe not with you, but me and a few of the people that I came out with, we had to do a 120-hour TEFL course, effectively, teaching English as a foreign language course. Um, pretty cut and dry, online questionnaire, just all about, you know, grammar, punctuation, all that malarkey. And then you get graded, you send out, and that's all we needed, really, and a degree from university they were looking for. Did you need any additional qualification besides a TEFL certification to work in, in Shanghai? Or did you have to go through a proper, say, you know, in quotes, a proper teacher's course or? Uh, no, actually, I didn't need any more qualifications. But you do need a minimum of two years experience to be able to get a good school in Shanghai. So I was lucky that I 
just had the two years from Wenzhou, so I was able to move here. Um, I was actually, I think, quite lucky to get into my school because they do usually require a teaching license. Yeah. Um, and you do get paid a lot more for having one, so that is something that I'm looking at, even though I don't want to be a teacher forever. It's like, if I can get it, get a bit more money, why not? Let, let's just go back with uh, Wenzhou for a bit, because, again, it's out, it's out in the sticks, and as you mentioned, people who are looking to become a, say, work abroad, work in China as a teacher, odds are they're going to find it easier to get work in a bit more of the rural sides of um, of China, places like Wenzhou, because that's all I'm going to reference, because that's all I know. <laughs> Did you find it difficult to apply for visas, paperwork, and all that other kind of hoops to jump through before even getting to China? Yes, but I think probably not as much as you guys did because I, again, came through the British Council. Uh, Richard and I both came through the British Council. They have a scheme. Uh, it's called Language Assistance, and you can apply to like pretty much any country in the world. They have them all over Europe, all over China. Uh, and we both applied for that, and that is how we got there. So we still had to apply for the visas and stuff ourselves, but we had a lot of support from the British Council. They told us everything that we needed to do. They pretty much filled out all the forms for us and everything. So we had a very like helping hand um, before we went. So I think you had it a bit harder, but it's it is quite complicated. I had to apply for my own visa coming to Shanghai, yeah. and I I forgot how complicated it is. It's a bit of a it's annoying. It's it's annoying. I had to like reprint the form so many times because I did like one thing wrong or like I didn't have a capital here or like they're so strict. It's annoying. Yeah. Um, how, how did you go about with with the obviously you mentioned the British Council? I didn't go for any of that. My, I was literally caught up by a random recruiter one day and the panic set in that somebody was going to steal my kidneys. But um, <laughs> my with, was like, with... like, how do you know it's real? How do you know you're not going to get there and there's no going to be nobody there waiting for you at the airport? And I was like, mum, it's the British Council. Like, there's going to be somebody there. And she's like, mm, but there might not be. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, I think that's what we all thought. I mean, I, I mean, I don't, don't know about you, but, you know, every, everyone's first night was quite different and... Either you, you got there not expecting anything and then reality kicked in on that first night. Almost like going to prison, I suppose. I could bet not in the same way. But when everything kicks in, like, oh, shit, this is happening. I've still got my kidneys, but now I've actually got to act on it. And that, got... Yeah. Was that, was, that, was that the panic that you kind of went through as well on the first night? Hmm, interesting. I mean, it, my first night in Wenzhou, it wasn't, it wasn't my first time in China. So I didn't have it the same as you. I remember my first time in China was when I went to Chengdu and I woke up early. I got there before my housemate. And so I woke up before her. She was still sleeping off a jet lag. And I was like, oh, I should go out and explore. And I was like, I'm too scared to go out by myself. <laughs> I was like, I don't have, because obviously you don't have, I didn't have a bank account or like DD or anything like that when I first went. And I was like, I don't know what to do. Like, what if I wander too far from my apartment and I can't find it again? I don't have any contacts. And I was like, I'm just going to wait for her to wake up. <laughs> so I waited for her to wake up before we went out together. So in Wenzhou, I was I was quite comfortable already. Um, but I just remember being shocked when Linda came to get us. And she, you remember Linda, she like, her English was really not that good. No. And then we just kept driving and driving and driving. And I was like, how far away are we? Like, We'd already been told that it wasn't in the center, like Ruja had told us. Yeah. And I remember going past next and I was like, oh, that looks like a nice mall. I hope you live near that. And we just kept going and kept going and kept going. And I was like, oh my God, we're literally like in the mountains. Yeah. But I remember um, being surprised by the apartment. 
The apartment <laughs> nice. was really nice, and um, yeah. that was probably one of, one of the great things that the um the, the the school pretty much covered everything, or this particular school do did, and yeah, yeah, yeah. we had a nice you know pretty spacious you know you know one bed apartment, nice big shower room, living area, and um, that was probably yeah. one of the nicer buildings in the area as well. They obviously built this kind of new complex, and the school yeah. bought a few of the rooms. Well, uh, somebody, no, somebody in um, my class, his dad owned that whole block of apartments and he was renting them for the schools. He even paid out a phone bill. Do you remember that? They were literally paying out a phone bill. I don't get that now. I have to pay my own no. phone bill. <laughs> but then again, you're getting a higher pay. I mean, we had to get some sort of like special treatment, didn't we? But we, <laughs> if anything, yeah. we probably caused more problems to that building. <laughs> we all bought our <laughs> e-bikes, didn't we? And then we were parking them wet, muddy and soaking and plugging them into the main building supply of energy, yeah. weren't we? <laughs> They built that shed just for you guys. Yeah, they built the shed. They put padlocks on all the electricity boxes so we couldn't plug our bikes in. And, uh, I remember you thought that um, there was quite a few Chinese teachers who were a bit upset because they thought that the school had bought you guys all the bike. And Lilo oh. asked me, she was like, I told them it can't be the school because Steph doesn't have one. <laughs> so I was like, no, yeah, you're right. They just The guys just bought them themselves because some of the Chinese teachers were like a bit upset. I thought that the school had bought them for us. Oh, no, no. I mean, they're not going to be listening, but no. I, I mean, I still remember the two other guys. They, they went out to, trying to share a bike that they could buy together, and it was, um, it was Joel and Aaron. They went out like one, one of my friends, Joel, who's been on the show. He, um, he was adamant to be like the explorer. He wanted to go see everything, everywhere, do everything all at once, and so <laughs> they were adamant to try and get a moped of some sort and share between them. I think in their heads they were expecting the costs to be similar to the UK, and mm. um, they came. And was no, was it Joel came back with the most beat up, rusted, <laughs> holes everywhere piece of shit bike, <laughs> and then I think it was about a month or two in. I think we all got paid. Obviously, felt very, very rich, very very fancy, well off, and we, there was a bike shop ten yeah. minutes from the school, and we all went there. At, on our lunch break and everyone just ended up buying a bike except for yeah. you i felt so left out it took me almost a year to buy one <laughs> it did and then you went out and bought probably the fanciest like vespa looking <laughs> thing on the planet and then i almost killed myself the first day riding it <laughs> <laughs> this this is one of my favorite stories and it's the thing that always brings me joy that we got to the bike <laughs> Not even we got to the bike shed and then we're all stopping to plug it in and then you instead of like taking your hand off the throttle <laughs> you literally go full rev and you clothesline yourself into a metal pole yeah and you had such pure shock that you had no idea how to react we're all there in horror thinking that you're dead <laughs> and you just burst into hysterics <laughs> i was literally i was so proud of myself because i drove home from school no no accidents i was like oh great and then it's not like I had an accident on the road. It was in the fucking parking shed. It's because you had to go up that little step to get up. And I, I went up and then you were there standing there parking your bike. So I was waiting for like you guys to get out the way. And I, I accidentally pulled a little bit on it. And then that made me go back because it was so fast. And then the further back I went, the more I pulled on it. And I was like, zoom. <laughs> it hit me right here. And I was like, I ended up having to like limbo underneath it. Otherwise, I think it probably just would have went straight through my neck. I was just like limb going under it. <laughs> Finally, managed to let go and crashed into a bush. <laughs> and I just looked up and you were standing there like, 
<laughs> and you had dropped your bike to run over and check on me. And I'm just like, <laughs> on the floor like crap. There, there, are, there are too many funny stories. But I mean, that that is probably the highlight of it. But only because it isn't something that we were kind of forced into by the school. This is just purely you. Just everything just got progressively worse in the space of three seconds. And, um, <laughs> I should just plop on the outside. If you notice, like the rest of that, yeah, I pretty much, the whole of the next year as well, I barely plop in the shed unless I really needed to charge. <laughs> I was scared of going in the shed. <laughs> I was like, I'm going to kill myself one day. Yeah, but it was a lovely bike though. It was a great bike and I missed that bike. It's now illegal. I can't get it here in Shanghai. That particular bike that I had is now too fast and too heavy. Oh. They brought in those new rules, like in the April, just before you left. A bike cannot be over a certain speed now. It can't be over a certain weight, etc. Otherwise, you can't get a license for it, like um, a license plate. So the bike that I had is now illegal. So I had to get another one. It's all right. Now, now you're just living the taxi life. You're getting chauffeured. No, I have a bike. <laughs> oh, you have a bike? I have a bike. Yeah, of course I have a bike. But it's not as fast as my other one. This one's blue. No. Last one was a lovely like eggshell wide. Yeah, oh, it was so nice. I remember you drove it back for me because I was too scared to drive it back. <laughs> you, me, and one of the Chinese teachers, we, um, yeah. Lilu, that's it. We went. We went. You found this bike place on like the other side of the mountain, basically towards <laughs> the uh, the other like shopping yeah. mall. She recommended it to me. Yeah, she that was it. By hers. Yeah, and we went over there. You're like, yeah, this one looks nice. Yeah, no, oh yeah, I like the color. Yeah. And then you and Lilu just got in a taxi <laughs> and I had to like, I was like, all right, okay, I'll, I'll take it back. And I, I, I will, I will attest that thing was bloody quick. Yeah. You loved it. You loved driving back in that. <laughs> I did. It was my favorite thing. I did feel like I felt so mean driving around on a, on a Vespa bike. <laughs> I was scared to drive it. And I also did not know the way back because we were in the middle of nowhere and I'd never gone that way before. So I was like, all right, you can drive it back. Yeah. <laughs> I need to accompany Lulu. <laughs> I mean, speaking of getting lost, that was something that we, we kind of found happen quite quick. Again, none of us spoke Chinese. None of us knew how to read Chinese. And I guess your sense of direction gets completely thrown out the window when you're in the, somewhere you have zero idea about. And um, we had a couple of little tricks that helped us find our way home. One of which was using the headmaster at the time's business card to tell a taxi how to get us back to our area oh my god you just showed him that this is where i live yeah pretty much there were it was me and two others and um it was a case we pulled out the business card and just point at that at the address and be like you go? i would try and say it and they never understood what i was saying no, I mean, that's what I found. Every time we, you and me got in a taxi on the way back from, like, the, the big city centre, they just have a bloody clue what you're saying. No matter how much you, like, raised your <laughs> did your poor English, you're just re- speaking slower and louder. Yeah, I know. Granted, in Mandarin, but still. It still happens now sometimes. Chinese people don't understand what I'm saying. And my teacher's like, it's just because they're not used to foreigners speaking it. And I'm like, should... I know I said it right. <laughs> is, is it because you just, you sound like a Geordie man, like, Chinese person? No, it's because I sound so correct with my Chinese and they all have accents and they're just not used to hearing completely correct Chinese. Okay. Oh, right. Yeah, that, no, no, that, makes, that makes perfect sense. That makes, that yeah. makes perfect sense. Yeah. Um, so instead of carrying around a business card of your employer to hopefully get, and if you lived near said school for that to actually work, are there any 
apps that you would recommend a first-time traveler to take to China or get set up on their phone? Oh, yeah. I mean, gosh, there's loads. I mean, you have to have WeChat. You absolutely have to. You probably get your job through WeChat, and everyone communicates through WeChat. So definitely WeChat. Um, that's kind of like a – I know you know, but I don't know <laughs> everyone else knows. It's kind of like a mix of, like, social media, but also used for professional purposes as well. Um, Alipay? It's necessary, especially if you're new to China, because now you can't download DD. Because the oh. Chinese government have blocked DD because they floated on the stock market or something, and China wasn't happy about it. So they're not allowed to get any new registrations. So because when I left China, I lost my Chinese phone number. They, so they sell your phone number to somebody else. Nice of them. If you're out for the country for more than a year, they just sell your phone number to someone else. So I came back, and I didn't have a phone number. I had to get a new one. And then I couldn't register for DD because they wouldn't accept new numbers. So I was like, how the... Am I supposed to get a taxi? <laughs> I was like, oh my gosh, my legs are being cut off. I can't go anywhere. But actually, there's a bit on uh, Alipay. It's like transport. Uh, I think you can see it. <laughs> there's a bit on Alipay that says transport at the top. It's like a little arrow. Right. It's all in Chinese, but I that's how I take my taxis now. So Alipay for sure and Taobao. I, I say those are the three main ones. Alipay, three WeChat, main ones. So a social media platform, a way to get around, and effectively Taobao, which is Amazon. Yeah, it's the Holy Trinity. The Holy Trinity for life in China. That's all you need. Yeah. If I if I remember correctly, because I haven't, because I, I, so I have a Google phone. And a, as we know, anything Google related, China do, doesn't really appreciate. So WeChat mm -hmm. just keeps breaking when I try and use it on Google, my, on my Google phone. That's why I don't have it anymore. Okay. Um, but does WeChat have like a form of Google Maps on it? Like a pin drop system, doesn't it? Like... Yeah, there's a pen drop system. To be honest, yeah. I never use it. Um, if somebody sends me a pin, I know obviously know how to click on it and stuff. But then people are like, oh, send me a pin of where you are. And I'm like, I don't even know how to do that. I don't know how to yeah. send. Hmm. I don't know. Yeah, you can you can drop pins on WeChat, but I don't really yeah. use that. I just use Apple Maps. Apple is the best phone to have if you come to China. because it Oh, works. yeah. That, that, Apple everything. That is, like it is over here, that is the peak, you know, of... You know, upper class living, really. Apple. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> are, you, are you recording this off your off your um, MacBook Pro by any chance? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Actually, my school is like it's an it's an Apple. It, they call it an Apple school. So, like, if you have another computer, you can still obviously plug in and stuff. But uh, everything's set up for Apple, so they have all the adapters there. But also, I can just screen share from my laptop to the board. So I don't, there's none of this like USB shit yeah. anymore. There's not even a space for a USB. You just literally screen share your laptop to the oh. board. I can leave my laptop over on my desk and then teach at the front of the class. It's great. Oh, I'll say, I don't know. I, I kind of missed the, the classic chalkboard and plugging in a USB stick at the start of every lesson. I have a whiteboard to write on too. They also gave me a, um, uh, an iPad. Which came, gave you an iPad. Well, they're lending me it. Oh. I have to give it back when I leave the school. And it already comes... Oh, it's dead. <laughs> it already comes with like all the school apps preloaded and everything, so I didn't have to do anything. So it's nice to have that class sometimes as well. Yeah. And, I mean, comparing that, again, to Wenzhou, um, as we mentioned, ev everything was so basic, was, was so plain. It was chalkboards, not whiteboards. You had to download yeah. a lesson plan onto... A USB to then plug into a touch screen TV, which kind of worked. 
Yeah, um, I remember Richard going crazy a couple of times because the kids or the teachers or someone would like slam one side of the chalkboard like over while his USB was still plugged in and it would break off, <laughs> break his USB. So like twice he, lo- he broke his USB and like lost quite a lot of work. So I remember him being quite annoyed about that. <laughs> Yeah, I think that, that that's where people start to learn, and you get the you get the shorter USBs, so then the kids don't break everything. Yeah, but I think also that was kind of necessary in one job because if we had taken our laptops into the classroom, I feel like the kids would have just like pounced, and they wouldn't have been able to stop themselves touching it, picking it up, probably breaking it. Yeah. Um, but now the kids know, like they don't touch my laptop, they don't touch my phone. No, I, I mean I think that um. That, that's something if anyone's looking to go and to that, unless you're moving you're fortunate enough to go to Shanghai or one of these schools where you have a PGCE if you're going out to the sticks where you are again a glorified carer who speaks English to these children um, you will find that there is a certain attitude that you get versus what the teachers get so you need to probably have a quite a calm head and um, if you came in with a new Fitbit or iWatch that, you know hands are all over it um, they would, you know, if they noticed you had a phone in your pocket, they would start trying to get it out your pocket. Um, yeah, in a, in a lot of the smaller cities, the Chinese teachers get way more respect than the foreign teachers. The foreign teachers don't really like from the students. It's not that the students don't like us; they actually really like us. But they like they don't. I guess we weren't teachers, so they didn't see us as teachers. Like they would see us as the entertainment, and so they yeah. would think that everything was fair game. And I know you just get jumped on a lot. Like the kids would just jump on your back, or like some of the guys would be like lifting the kids up <laughs> and playing with them and stuff. It's, it's very different in the, the smaller cities. It's yeah. So it's usually, yeah. It's a, um, it's, it, it, it was fun, but it was, but as we mentioned as well, there was a lot more flexibility in it. We had the options of teaching maybe an hour or two a day, and then we could do whatever the hell we wanted most of the time. Remember uh, Monday coffee mornings, like two hours going to the Nespresso machine. We'd sit in those armchairs and have a cuppa and then we'd be like, should we have another one? Yeah, let's have another yes, one. <laughs> just go to the free coffee machine, have another one. I think there was a point that obviously the school realised that it was just you and me and they're like, yeah, they're drinking all our coffee. We should probably buy more. And I think <laughs> after a couple of weeks of us doing it, they were moving the coffee pods around the rooms. We had to like, we spent the first 10 minutes opening every cupboard. Yeah, every cupboard, like where's the coffee? Yeah, because we in 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 these schools, and from what I've seen as well, you don't have a designated staff room where they give you like bits and bobs like coffee and all that, like like you'd expect in England. You know, coffee is a blood is a life source for us. But they um they had like a whole part of the school that was just for staff with meeting rooms, and that's where they had the one single like espresso pod machine coffee, but just hot water taps everywhere was all we had. Didn't we have one in our, like, what do we call it? The tea room? We call it the tea room, right? Yes, but there was never any coffee in there, was there? Yeah, I remember just asking the headmaster, like, can we get some coffee? And he's like, right, I'll put that on the list. Tom, <laughs> get them some coffee. <laughs> I don't know if it ever materialised, but... <laughs> no, but, you know, we, we, went, we made the most of it. I think there were, like, tea leaves there, so we were, like, making the worst tea on the planet that just had loose leaves day, floating right? everywhere. Yeah, you guys would drink green tea, and I'm just, oh, I hate green tea. I couldn't. Well, yeah, we had to make the best of it. It was either that or just, you know, <laughs> boiling hot water. You had to wait to cool down, or you walk to a corner store to get some sort of <laughs> Gatorade. That's what I noticed uh, as well in Wenzhou. There was nowhere to get water in that school. Like, there was no water fountain, no water bottles. Like, we would have to just go thirsty. Like, But in all of the other schools I've worked in, 
they've got water machines. You can literally yeah. go get cold water, cold water, <laughs> like what a luxury. Oh, wow. I can just go and get cold water or hot water, whatever I want. But in Wanzhou, we didn't have any water. No, we had to like go buy like liters of water at a time to keep by our desk. Because yeah. or like if they if they were having a meeting or like an event, we try and sneak like steal some of those like little mini bottles from the boxes. <laughs> like... <laughs> we were, uh, and I think this just kind of shows that it was almost like one there was the language barrier, but two, it's like we we to an extent we knew we could get away with bloody murder. Um, the the school the schools had a um. Well, when we got there, I don't know if it might be the same for you, but in our contract, we had like a, a month probation period at the school. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And um, I remember to coming towards the end of that first month, we were all bricking it. Like we were trying to be as well behaved as possible. We were trying to do the best lessons we possibly could. And um, literally got to the last day of the month and we were like, oh, God, we're going to be let go. And then Tong just casually like the um, one of that just went, oh, yeah, you all passed, by the way. It's fine. But let's carry on. Like just so brushed over. Yeah. And I think that was the point we all realized that we were a glorified marketing presence. I will tell you, that's the same in every school. Like, I've had a probation at every single school I've worked at. That's, like, standard. You will always get a probation. Sometimes it's one month. Sometimes I've had three months probation. Um, they will not fire you unless you do something really bad. Like, if you smack a kid or, like, <laughs> if you're really, like, the worst teacher ever, like, incredibly incompetent. But you can be like a mediocre teacher and they'll still not fire you. Like even in Shanghai, my oh, wow. school now, there's a couple of teachers they were sort of worried about that are not doing so well. They've all been renewed for the next year. Like they will not, they pretty much won't fire you unless you do something really bad. So I would say if anyone's going to come to China, don't worry about the probation part in your contract because I was terrified about that as well. I was like, oh my God, I'm going to have to go home after a month and tell everybody that I failed and they didn't want me. No, that's not going to happen. Don't worry about it. That was the first stress. Did you find any other stresses? Obviously, you said you went to, to Chengdu, but that wasn't as long a term. Where, in Wenzhou, besides the stress of having the embarrassment of crawling back to the UK, was there any anything else that was running through your mind that had you worried about, one, whether or not you were going to make it through, or two, if anything was going to get in the way? Yeah, I mean, I actually hated, really hated teaching when I started. It was like, awful and I also wasn't particularly good in the beginning um and I had Tong as my like one of my co-teachers and she would ride me really hard and make me feel like I was doing like a shit job <laughs> and I remember thinking to myself like if things don't get better by Christmas I'm gonna leave because it really was like those first few weeks were the hardest as well even just going out to like buy some water or like try and buy some food where we were in my job was so difficult not speaking any Chinese like, how could you get food? There was, like, nothing Western there. It was all Chinese places. Everything was in Chinese. I'd have to, like, go somewhere and, like, just point at a picture or, like, I don't know, try and show a picture of what food I wanted. And it, everything was a task. Everything was so difficult. You could never get any DDs as well from where we lived. Like, it was so difficult. I remember Richard and I taking the bus to go to McSee. We got on the wrong bus. We had to get off, go back, and get on another bus. And we had to, like, practice over and over saying the stop name in Chinese. Because we had to know how to say it to the lady so she could charge us the right amount of money. And it's just, it was those kind of little things. Like I didn't realize how difficult life could be. It was a massive culture shock, even though I had been to China before. Like you said, that was like a two-month temporary thing. I wasn't living there permanently. And I was, I had like a company sort of looking after me, like intern China were the ones sort of doing all the difficult stuff for me. 
So this was the first time I'd done it, and I was like, oh my gosh, I didn't realize life could be so inconvenient in the beginning. It was very difficult, I think. Yeah, I mean, I, I had exactly the same same feeling. It was a case, you know, you get there, there you had the area we were in, and as you mentioned, there was nothing Western there. There was no supermarket. There was a couple of small little, what we would class as corner stores, I'd probably say. And yeah. um, the be- most you could get in it was crisps, a couple of sweets, noodles, and eggs, maybe. There was no real meat. There was no, you couldn't have a healthy diet living off the food there. No. And I think it took us a couple of months to realize that there was a chicken shop up the road because it just looked like anyone else's house. And then <laughs> a little bit further up the road, there was a pizza place with Bobby's Pizza that we got taken oh, to on a work thing. Pizza. The Chinese pizza with no tomato sauce on it. Oh my gosh, it was literally just bread and cheese. <laughs> yeah, bread and cheese. Oh. Yeah, yeah, that, that's right. Yeah, it was the weirdest thing. But then because it was all we had, it was a case of we bought it out of... I really want a pizza, but I can't. it's like nine o'clock at night. I'm not going to go down to ride for 40 minutes to get a pizza hut. I'm going to yeah. get a very disappointing pizza just to keep me happy. I think I was so much healthier in winter <laughs> because yeah. I couldn't get that stuff. Now I can be like, I want a pizza hut. Okay, I want a pizza hut. Whereas in winter, I was like, I didn't even have a bike. So it's like, I'm not going to take a taxi to go to Mixie just to get a pizza hut and then come back. Like, that's ridiculous. So I just didn't have that kind of food. No McDonald's, no Pizza Hut. It was all Chinese food, all like cooking for myself. So it was much healthier, but also a bit more depressing. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I've classed my diet as bland out there. I mean, the, the, the school, again, paid for us to have breakfast, lunch and dinner effectively at the school, which, you know, had a, had a hit rate of about 20%. And the rest of the time, yeah. we'd walk in and be like, uh-uh, and then walk out. But... um. <laughs> yeah, it, it was it, it it was it was a bland diet. You know, you could get some vegetables, but again, because you're in the middle of nowhere in China in a way, and um, you kind of forget the food that is so easily accessible in England, yeah. even like down to some fruits and vegetables. And but over there, they're like, yeah, if you oh, if you want to, if you want to like like a steak or something, let's just say they add steak there, it would cost you. 10 pounds more than it would cost here because they're importing it from Australia. I think most of their meat came from and, you know, they, they had fruit and veg, but again, it was really small or they just didn't have anything. So I think I just consisted on when I was cooking, it was a chicken base with like a couple of veg. And once I bought my rice cooker, I knew I, I knew I was settled in for the long term. <laughs> so many times I remember asking you to like, Oh, let's go out and eat somewhere. And you're like, I've got chicken for frosting. <laughs> <laughs> that 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 was my uh, yeah I mean I I I take that as a way of me saying that I'm clinging on to my English roots I've got chicken in I got chicken in the sink defrosting for dinner I remember buying like a massive one of those massive bags of rice from the little corner shop the one that was like super close to our apartment and there'd been loads of little bugs in it did you ever did that ever happen to you no every bag of rice I bought from there had loads of tiny little black bugs in it and I could see them like crawling around and I was like, what, what's happening? So I just didn't no. buy rice. I didn't want to buy rice ever because every time I got it from that shop, it had black bugs in. So I ended up having to like buy it from Olay and pay like so much money for a little bag of rice just so that it wouldn't have bugs in it. Oh, no, I, well, if, if, if there were, I never saw any of them. I probably just ate them anyway. I just ate them, yeah. <laughs> Extra protein. Yeah, you needed it. You needed it. But so yeah. I'm I'm guessing in that way you were just not prepared for the culture shock at all then of 
living yeah. in China. Yeah, I mean, like I said, I, I've been to China before, but like I think Chengdu was actually a lot more Western than Wenzhou, especially mm-hmm. where we were in Wenzhou. I was I wasn't prepared for how far out we were going to be and how much nothing there was going to be around, like literally nothing. Yeah. Nothing so you do. were in you were in Wenzhou for two years. Would you say over yeah. those two years, you just got used to memorizing patterns, or did you just start to, let's say, understand the the culture change? I think I got used to patterns. I think so. Like we would. Like, I remember, I don't know who it was. I think some of you guys found Top Boys. <laughs> so then, like, that was a safe place to go. We knew how to go and order Top Boys. Or there was Noodle Lady. Or there was, like, a rice place up the top. There was a yogurt shop oh, where you could get milk and yogurt. Um, A&M. I mean, that was it called. And those are, like, the safe places that you could go. And I pretty much just went to those places all the time. Or that, what was that cafe called that was next to us? That was, like, the only remotely... Chinese Western place. Was it like cafe? Was it like cafe eighty eight or something? It was a number, wasn't it? I think it was a number, yeah. But I remember they had pizza that was better than Bobby's. Yeah, it was quite good actually. A bit pricier, yeah. but it was nice. Yeah, and they would always give you like loads of nuts while you were waiting for your food. A platter of pumpkin seeds and peanuts, and yeah. when we all got there, we had no idea how much things were because we weren't we didn't get paid yet. And so we sit there and find the cheapest thing on the menu, scanning it with like Google Translate and just trying to <laughs> fill our weight with like pumpkin seeds and peanuts and free water. Yeah. I, I, I remember after I got a bike, actually, I did start feeling a lot more comfortable because I was able to then go out and explore a lot more. And I had a lot more freedom. And that second year, I would, I would like ride every single night. Even if I didn't need anything, I'd be like, I'm just going to go for a drive. And I would just drive around. So I got to know Anjo a lot better. And I felt a lot more comfortable in the second year, I would say, after getting my bike. I feel like if you if you are where we were, you really needed a bike. Because I, I was very limited in where I could go, what I could do. And even like for ordering, like wanting to go out and get food, like I would have to walk so far to try and find some food. So like having a bike really made a difference. What about nightlife in Wenzhou? After a while, we, we, we started to get into a comfortable state of heading into yeah. the Wenzhou for nights out. How would you describe the nights out in Wenzhou? Good, but shit at the same time. <laughs> I think uh, the clubs in China generally are like kind of rubbish. Like most of the clubs I went to, they would always play shit music, like techno music. And I was like, what is this? I don't even know what this is. They would have like really bad alcohol, like pain stripper alcohol. Um, but then going out with you guys made it really fun. And it was always so random. You'd meet other foreigners or like random things would happen on nights out. That just made it really fun. So I used to love our nights out in Wenzhou. It was like so, so fun. Yeah, they, they, they were pretty good. And it probably also helped as well that we spent about three hours pre-drinking in someone's apartment. Pre-drinking was my favorite. That was literally my favorite. We we all end up like in a circle, holding each other, singing Wonderwall. <laughs> you can tell you're you're there with a bunch of English people. I still have videos of like Joel and Prince like wrestling and oh uh, god, yeah, Joel like slam dunking him on the floor. Oh, that was great. <laughs> that that was the best pissing contest I think ever happened. Does anyone want a sandwich? <laughs> Although, 
my again, I'm going to do another because you bring me so many happy memories of China. Can you, talk about you, the wall? you know, can you do talk about the wall? Andrew? I'm going to talk about the wall, the Wonder Wall. <laughs> so, well, I don't know. Was this your birthday? I can't. I might have been. Oh God, I don't remember what day it was. No, um, but it, it, was, it was a night out before we all started going out and um, we all are having our pre-drinks in the apartment because one, not only were the, the club shipped for alcohol, you it was really expensive as well. So we all found out it was much cheaper if we bought like a bottle, <laughs> a bottle of spirits each, a couple of bottles <laughs> of Coke and all that. And we literally just plow ourselves with alcohol for a few hours and then go into the club, almost like what you do in London. But Steph, you I think this was not long after you bought a bottle of Midori and you started you started in, enjoying a bit more of the um the bougier side of um some drinks and you got so drunk to the, <laughs> to the point that you just face planted the wall. Okay, I did this on purpose. I was resting in the beanbag and I was like, mm, I'm a little tired. I'm just going to lay my head against this wall and have a rest. I did not face plant it. It was totally intentional. Yeah. I was just having a rest, okay? But the thing that makes it better, because in my head, it's obviously 10 times worse than it was. But because you've obviously done, you've made, you've done your makeup, you made yourself look lovely for a night out. <laughs> there was a bit of a <laughs> lipstick outline and a bit of like, like eyebrow pencil on the walls <laughs> still. So you... um. <laughs> Orange face and makeup. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Steph, Steph was here. <laughs> yeah, Steph was here. Steph's having a good night. But again, you um, you um, got off the wall and you just started laughing. <laughs> I used to get so drunk at pre drinks. It was so fun. <laughs> it, it, yeah, they, they they were great up until the, the the one point. I think that my worst example of pre drinking was I realised that somebody was. I bought a bottle of whiskey for it and instead of having a single or a double, I think I made the mistake of letting someone else make me the drink. So Joel and Banda decided to give me triple and quadruple servings of whiskey. And all I remember was jumping into the taxi, lying across all of your laps. And we got there and I got out, I threw up and I got back in the taxi and I told the taxi man to take me home. <laughs> that was that was Aaron's birthday, I remember. I can't remember the name of the club we were going to, but yeah, you literally got out. We were both feeling a bit sick. And then we got out and you puked and you were like, I'm going home. <laughs> and I was like, yes, Greg, no. <laughs> that was how done I was. No. <laughs> oh, oh my God. Of being... Okay, one second. Another thing with Apple products is that the battery is so shit. So I'm going to have to run and grab my charger. <laughs> Today we are not sponsored by anything by Apple. We just seem to have a... Um, once you go Mac, you never go back. But all right, yeah, that's so true. Once you go Mac, you really can't go back. But the battery is shit. And is, this I need a new is this the same one you had like five? You bought four, five years ago, though. Yeah, it's oh. the same one I bought in Metro. Yeah, so I really need a new one. Like it keeps telling me like your battery needs a service. Nah, I'm just buying a new one. Yeah, I'll just buy a new one. Why not? <laughs> um, speaking of going back in time, five years ago, you've got the benefit of being in China before covid kind of just after the peak of covid and now you're living very much in a post covid china recently they've 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 taken away their zero covid policy but as a westerner and just in general living in shanghai how is it living with covid on such a 
such an active base compared to what we're living like in the UK, where it's you know, not saying it's gone, but we don't worry about it as much. What is it like for you? Um, it's very strange because we had so many restrictions for a very long time. And then it was literally like overnight. They were like, oh, we're just going to, it's the flu now. It's the flu. <laughs> we're not going to class it. It was downgraded from like class A to class B. Um, so now everyone's just treating it like the flu and it's so strange. And like I said, literally everyone got it. Everyone caught it. There's no avoiding it. Um, but it still doesn't feel like quite normal. I think everyone's very suspicious that it's going to backtrack again. And we're going to go into another lockdown because it's literally just been lockdown after lockdown after lockdown. Um, people were so paranoid of getting COVID as well. It, there was a huge stigma attached to catching COVID in China. And there were cases of people not getting jobs because they had caught COVID before. Like they, they were tainted, you know what I mean? Yeah. And even when I got COVID, I was like, oh my God, like I'm, I'm dirty now. I've, I've had COVID, which is so stupid. But there was like a massive, massive stigma attached to it. If you had COVID as well, you'd be like potted off to a quarantine facility. I don't even know why they did that because you didn't get any treatment there. There was no point. But they built like massive, massive quarantine facilities with like little beds, like really close together, kind of like a, like a prison almost, like cubicles. And if you had COVID, you'd be shipped off to one of those uh, and you'd be treated like a, like a leper or something. And now they're like, oh, it's just a flu. Don't worry about it. And it's, it's ridiculous. And there were so many people in Shanghai who died. Like I said, we went through a really bad lockdown um, mid-March, for like two and a half months. We came out of it in June. And there were people dying of non-COVID-related stuff as well. Like there was a video that went viral on WeChat and the government kept blocking it, blocking it, blocking it. And it was like this old man who was having a heart attack and he was trying to like get an ambulance and the people couldn't get an ambulance. Because like all the hospitals were closed, they were all busy with COVID stuff. And so I don't know what happened to him. I don't know if he died, but he was having a heart attack and he couldn't get any help. And then there was a nurse who had an asthma attack and died because they wouldn't let her into the hospital because she didn't have a negative COVID test. And it's like, all of these people died. They were starving. People were starving. They literally couldn't get any food. And all of these people died for nothing because now they're like, oh, it's just the flu. Don't worry about it. Like, we're all going to catch it doesn't matter anymore yeah. and so it's like well, why did these people have to die like it's it's so stupid and everyone all the westerners i think have some resentment towards china now even though we're still here there's definitely some resentment there and it's not the same as it was before i mean yeah there were there were videos i mean again as you mentioned that the with wechat there are, the government does have a bit more of a stronger stranglehold on their people and the social media platforms you can't get facebook instagram really out there or twitter or anything that we'd use in the west but yeah there were videos that kind of came out i mean i remember when the last big lockdown hit a couple of months back before the zero tolerance was removed and it was like they were sticking up um like metal fences around apartment buildings and people yeah, were like handing over just bags of food to people yeah, they literally locked people in and everyone was like, what happens if there's a fire? Like, And I think actually it wasn't in Shanghai, it was somewhere else, another province, I can't remember, but there were tons of people died in a, a fire, apartment fire in the building. Um, and a lot of people were saying it was because they put up those fences and people couldn't get out. No. And apparently that's what kind of triggered the dropping of the zero COVID thing because there was outrage, there was protests everywhere. Even in Shanghai, we have protests about that. Because so many people died in that building, so they couldn't get out. They were literally locked in. 
Yeah. Was it a um, what was the pro was it the um the plain piece of A4 paper was like a protest symbol in China? I think so. Yeah. Like they obviously couldn't say anything, so it was just a blank sheet of paper that everyone was holding yeah. up. Even protesting at all in this country is very brave. <laughs> so yeah. it really shows you how, how sick people were. And there were so many Chinese people that were completely sick of it as well. And usually they follow the line, they kind of toe the government line, and they believe most of the stuff that the government tells them, but even they were so sick of it. Like everyone's sick of zero government now. Mm. So they had to drop it, they had no choice. Do do you find as a Westerner and like your fellow kind of Western teachers, do you find that there do you feel a bit more in line with like these government plans and how Chinese people would act in Shanghai? Or do you see or like we were in Wenzhou, we always thought we were in a way above everything else. Not not in a in a class way, but because almost we didn't understand everything, we kind of ignored it, like hear no evil, see no evil, speak no evil. Do you still find that in Shanghai or because it's such a busier city, you'll find yourself kind of say falling in line a bit more? Mm, I do still have quite a bit of privilege, I think, in Shanghai. Um, so I do find myself separated a little bit from it. Like um, what I was saying with the uh, COVID camps and stuff, people get COVID, get caught off. And if you were Chinese, you, you had no choice. You had to go. Um, and somebody in our building got COVID and they were trying to like ship ship him out and we all just said like no it's not going to happen and we had the power to do that and we were able to do that and he wasn't taken away uh and likewise um some of my colleagues live in another building and they were they came and put locks like on the actual front door to like stop them from getting out um and they just called the embassy and the embassy came and removed the locks they were like no you're not doing that so there's still some kind of separation and i do feel very lucky and also a bit guilty about it at the same time that I know that I had a much better lockdown than a lot of people. I had food delivered from the school three times a day. Um, I didn't have any locks. I wasn't carted off anywhere. So, yeah, there's still some privilege. And I think working for a school as well, the school will always try and keep you happy. And the schools usually have quite a bit of power with the government as well. Like My school, the public division, is like the best school in Shanghai. So they have a lot of sway with the local government as well. So they were able to pull some strings for us. So yeah, there's still some separation for sure. <laughs> and with how everything is with COVID now, I mean, you're, you're probably still out there for a bit longer, but how is the, getting the visa process? Have you found it easier over the years or since COVID? Are you expecting it to be a bit more of a struggle, shall we say, a bit more time consuming and a pain in the ass? Um. That's interesting because it's not really something that I will have to do per se, because uh, once you're here, your school just applies for the visa for you. So I don't have to go through any of that process. The school will do it all for me. And I just have to take the forms and like sign for it. It's annoying. It is annoying because uh, in Shanghai as well, we don't have, we don't have a Linda, you know, like we had a Linda. She would like do everything for us. She would take us to the hospital. She would take us to go get our medical checks, like for the, for the visa. Like she would do everything for us, but here we have to do everything ourselves. Like that's expected of us to be yeah. more independent. So it is annoying, but it's not going to be as difficult as coming back here during COVID. I came like in the middle of COVID mm. and that was ridiculous. I needed so much. I even needed to show like proof of vaccination to get a visa. Um, and I had to have like different negative COVID tests. You had to apply for a green code to get in. I had to lay over in Helsinki because you weren't allowed to fly direct from the UK because the UK was high risk. 
So I had to lay over in Helsinki and I had to get a blood test to prove I'd never had COVID and a COVID test to prove I didn't currently have COVID. And I had to wait like 17 hours for the results to then come back. And then I had to quarantine for three weeks when I arrived. It was, it was madness. So this year it's going to be really chill. Like my visa is going to run out. I just have my passport over to the school. They pretty much deal with it. Oh, wow. So visa itself, like the visa is only for coming into the country. Once you're here, you get a residence permit and that's super easy to renew. The school will just renew that for you. I, I remember the end of um, my first year and everyone getting, who who are staying having to get their, their visa process. It was a bit more painful that year in particular um, because some certain paperwork wasn't completed on time by um, by someone. Yeah. I know. Yeah. I, I think I still think that school paid off, <laughs> paid somewhere because they were like, "Oh, it's gonna take a week to get your passport back," and we were like, "But we have flights in two days." Yeah. <laughs> and I remember like all of you with Rujia, like, "Are you gonna? Is the school gonna pay for my flight? Because I'm gonna have to change my flight." I was mm. such a Karen. Um, but they did something and ended up getting <laughs> our passports back. So yeah. Yeah, you were quite lucky. I mean, yeah. I mean, you you say you were a Karen, but after all, um, it. it it was the first full year. I think everyone spent doing it. I think everyone was entitled to be a little bit of a Karen. But yeah, that... everyone was so ready to come home that, that summer. Like, I don't get that urge now. Like, summer. I'm going home this summer only because I have to because I have some medical stuff I need to do. Otherwise, I would just go travel for summer. Like, I don't have that urge to go home now. But after the first year in China, I was like, I need to go home. I need to get out of this place, get my head refreshed. Because it's a lot. It, it can be difficult living in China, especially if you're living in a more rural area. Yeah. It's quite and especially that first year, everything we mentioned, you got culture shock, meet, obviously meeting new people, making new friends. But speaking of making new friends, you've gone through it kind of twice now. You've obviously gone to Wenzhou, you met up a group of like people, and then you did it again in Shanghai. Um and then not not only new people, but a whole new city, massive city. How did you find, what were your predictions for people that you were going to be working with? And how did you find it for the year? You know, not trying to pull any favoritism. Did you have concerns <laughs> about the people you were working with? And then how easy was it getting on with these people and effectively becoming a little family hub? So actually, uh, I ha- I've done it three times because this is my third school so I actually had a different school when I first moved to Shanghai so when I moved to that school I was naively expecting it to kind of be the same like oh we'll all be foreigners we'll all like stick together and um we'll be like a little family um but it's it's really not like that in Shanghai people are much more independent here everyone has their own friendship groups outside of school as well um and I actually struggled to make friends when I first arrived like the first time in Shanghai back in 2019 and I got, it's not that I didn't get on with my colleagues. I got on with them all. But they all had their own friends outside of school. There was no school dorms. Like, everybody lived in different parts of the city. And Shanghai is huge. Um, so everyone was spread out. It wasn't like, a knock, go, I'm going to go knock on someone's door, see if they want to watch a movie or anything like that. I didn't have that. And, um, yeah, it, I, it made me miss, miss Wenzhou a lot. I think the friendship group that we had in Wenzhou, I've not had that since. Uh, this time around in Shanghai, I, I find it a lot easier because it's a bigger school. There's, we literally have over 100 foreign teachers. Um, and I am living in a school building as well. So, yeah, I have lots of friends here now. But I still think it's it's still not the same as what we had in Wenzhou. I think because it was our, all of our first time living properly in China, um, we all just kind of stuck together. Even if 
we weren't the kind of people that might necessarily be friends if we met in England. Like I know all of you guys, I wouldn't have been friends with all of you <laughs> if I'd met you in England. Some of you would have been like, nah, I'm not interested. Um, <laughs> but in Wenzhou, we just kind of stuck together. Everything was new for all of us and there weren't as many foreigners there as well. So we were just sort of together. But in Shanghai, it's really not like that. Everyone's more independent. And even when you do make friends, they still have other friendship groups and everything's very separate. So it's a very different environment, I think. Yeah. Very different. But do you, do you find even in Shanghai, with being a bigger city, do you find that all these people who've come out to move, they all maybe have a similar kind of mindset that makes it easier to get on with them? Or would you say it's like England where you're not going to get on with everyone? So they, they could be a dickhead, but... Yeah, they could be a dickhead. I think... Um, yes, I think a lot of people in China do have the same kind of mindset. They want to travel, they want to explore and have like, new experiences. So that definitely makes it easier to find people that you have something in common with. But there's, there's different kinds of people that come to China. You get like normal people like me, you know, um, and then you get weirdos. Like they come to China because they didn't really have anything going on in, in their other country, their home country. You get a lot of guys coming over here specifically because they want to get Chinese girls. Um, it's very creepy. It's like they're like average or below average in their home countries. They can't get a girlfriend. So they come here and suddenly they're like Casanova and they think they're like amazing. And those kind of creepy. It's, it, I'm sure there are some girls, but it's usually guys and from what I've seen in my experience. There are some creepy, creepy guys here that I would just not be friends with. So it's very like two, it's very polarizing. There's two different groups, I feel like. China. Yeah. <laughs> I, I also find that there's two different groups as well. I mean, at the moment, I've had a lot of um, kind of female guests on the show, and it seems like a lot more of the women are, consider they 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 find it's a more scary prospect moving abroad. But they also are the ones who end up staying out there longer. Would you say is that something that you found over there, or obviously in Shanghai being very different? Is there quite a lot of men to women? I think it's opposite in terms of I think that the foreign guys tend to stay here longer than the women because the foreign guys are the ones that are more likely to get married and have kids here and foreign women don't have the same appeal to Chinese men as foreign men do to Chinese women you know Chinese women a lot of them love foreign men they just want to be with a foreigner they want to be with a white guy um, and they want the kind of privilege and benefits that come with that um, but Chinese men don't really care about foreign women. Like we, we don't have, it's not the same. So I think the men are more likely to settle down in China for sure. Yeah. Like there are so many, I have so many foreign parents. The guy is the foreign one <laughs> and they have a Chinese wife. Uh, it's very rare I see it the other way around. There are some, but it, it's very rare that I see a foreign woman married to a Chinese man. So I think men are more likely to stay long term for sure. So with... Um... Kind of on that as well, for for the women who might be looking to move abroad, there's always that concern. I think everyone looks for it at least once when you have all those thoughts going through your head of, oh my God, will I be fine? As, as a woman living in Shanghai and obviously you're around China, would you consider it a safe place for a woman to go travel solo and work abroad solo? Yes, 100%. Like in the UK, even where I live in the UK, is it's a pretty safe area. But I still would get a bit nervous walking by myself at night. Um, and there were like, I remember there's like a certain road that's like trees on both sides that I just wouldn't walk down at night in the UK. Um, but in, in China, it's so safe. I've never felt scared going out by myself. 
I'll go out in the evening. I'll walk down dark streets by myself. No lights on. That's fine. It's it's so safe. Like, not just for women, but for everyone. Like, there's it's very low crime rate. Very very low crime rate. Um, but yeah, especially for women, it's something that I think you really don't have to worry about. It's, it's very freeing here yeah. to be like, oh, I'm gonna go for a midnight walk, two a.m. walk, two a.m. jog, whatever. I don't jog, but you might do that. <laughs> two a.m. jog. Yeah, go for it. There's no way you need to avoid. It's it's so so safe. Would you say that you've grown in confidence um, over the years of living abroad, and you're a very different person to what you was, say, five years ago? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I've always been quite shy. I would say in the UK, uh, shy. Yeah, shy, quiet. I would never even go to like a restaurant by myself. Um, I used to when I was at college and uni. I would get so nervous if I had to do a presentation. I would do whatever I could to just like try and get out of it. If it wasn't part of my grades, I'd be like, okay, I'm going to be sick tomorrow. <laughs> I'm not going to do this presentation. I'm so nervous. And if I had to do one, I'd be like, like, you know, talking like this. And I'd be so, so nervous. And I think coming here and just standing up in front of a bunch of kids who will judge you absolutely. Um, and you have to like completely take control of them. You can't let them see that you're nervous. Otherwise they will just take whatever, <laughs> whatever they can get from you. So every single day I'm up and presenting in some way. And that's definitely made me so much more confident and doing stuff solo as well. Like I've traveled around China by myself. Now I've traveled to Thailand and Malaysia by myself. Uh, and it, it's very, very freeing. And that's something that I never would have done before. And even <laughs> just when I went to Sanya a couple of weeks ago, that was actually the first time I sat in a restaurant by myself. <laughs> I've gone to like cafes and McDonald's and whatever by myself. But this is the first time I made like an actual reservation at a restaurant. You have to have a reservation. And I sat down at a table and it was like, how many people? And I was like, one. And I didn't even feel like embarrassed or feel like I had to like be on my phone the whole time pretending I was talking to someone. I was like, no, I'm just one. Doesn't matter. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I'm a lot more confident than I used to be for sure. Oh, wow. But. On that end as well, with your added confidence, with all this, all these new friendships, these new experiences, what would you say has been your biggest accomplishment so far whilst being out in China? Oh, if God. one comes to mind. <laughs> it's a very big question. Yeah. But has, has there been that moment that's made you sit back and go, I've got my shit together? Or, holy, holy cow, I'm at the top of a mountain. Or, I've just clotheslined <laughs> myself on my bike. <laughs> awkward stare um I think <laughs> I think just looking at what I do now for a living like I have so much responsibility um and these kids all look to me as like the adult and um I know that sounds silly but like <laughs> to even consider yourself as an adult I was always like when I was younger I was like oh teachers are like such adults they have all their shit together and then I became a teacher and I was like wow that's really not the case at all and then I realized like all of these kids are looking to me for the answers and I actually do have the answers. And it's like, I've grown so much as a person during my time in China. And I remember saying to my friends, like they were all buying houses or like having babies and stuff. And I was like, oh, you know, I've not really achieved anything this year. And they were like, Steph, you just moved to Shanghai. Like, what are you talking about? And I was like, oh yeah, I guess that is an accomplishment because I'd been in China for a while by that point that like going back to China wasn't an accomplishment to me. It was just like, I'm going back to where I live. But my friends are like, no, you've moved to like one of the biggest cities in the world. You've got a job in a very competitive city. And it's a good job that I have as well. It's a high paying job, lots of responsibility. 
So I guess I just realized how far I've come, I think, with the, the things that I'm able to do now. Yeah. yeah. Obviously, you mentioned one more year, one more year, just one more year. Do you yeah. think there's going to be a few more years? Is China still the one or is there a possibility of maybe you going to, I don't know, teach in Thailand, South Korea, Japan, or maybe even being a teacher full time in the West? No, to that last one. <laughs> Absolutely not. Uh, teaching is still something that I'm doing just to be here. It's not my passion and I think it's never going to be my passion. Uh, I'm good at it now and I can, I can find, I can definitely find enjoyment out of it, but it's never going to be my passion. So teaching's off the table forever. Like it's not going to be my long-term goal. Um, I thought about teaching in other countries, especially Thailand, because I went there and I absolutely loved it. But I think, you know, the money is so low. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm not like, I don't be one of those people that's like money, money, money. But I am in my 30s now and I'm like, I'm past the point where I can take a really low paying job just for the experience. Mm. I'm now at a stage where I need to think about the future and I need a job that's going to give me stability. So I don't think I will move to another country. And I think after the convenience of living in China, living in another country, is not going to be the same. It's not going to be the same experience. Um, so I think it's China or it's the UK for me. At the moment, would you say you've got a few more years left in China or? At the moment, I'm still saying one more year. <laughs> I'm waiting for that three year bonus. Um, but I, it, I realize like the more I think about it, it doesn't really make sense for me to go home. Like, why am I giving up such a high paying job to go home to nothing? Yeah. And I'm going to struggle to get a job because when I was in the UK for the year and a half ago, I couldn't find a job. Like, it was really difficult to get a good job. And I remember I was offered a job at the home office, but then they wouldn't take me because I'd spent too long in China. Oh, yeah. <laughs> they were like, oh, I know, security risk or whatever. So the kind of jobs that I would want, which is like the government kind of jobs, I wouldn't be able to get, I wouldn't be eligible for. So I would just end up working in like retail or something and obviously not dissing anyone who does that, but like, that's not what I want to do. And why would I give up this job to go back to the UK to earn probably a quarter of the wage to have to probably move back in with my mum or pay extortionate rent, extortionate living costs. And I could, I could save up so much money here. And eventually if I stayed another five years, I could go home and I could just buy a house, like outright, literally outright with cash. I go yeah. buy a house. And I was like, why, why don't I do that? Like, why do I think in my head I have to go home? I have to go home. And I think it's an age thing. If I was 25, I would be like, oh, yeah, I'll stay another five years, no problem. But now I'm 30, I'm like, oh, you know, I should probably think about settling down, buying a house and doing that kind of stuff, getting a car. But really, age is just a number. So we'll see. I might stay here. It definitely makes more financial sense to stay here. Yeah. And again, being in Shanghai, it is one of those cities that it's so big, it's so modern. And it's it's not, again, not comparing, you know, it's not Wenzhou. It's somewhere that, as you've mentioned, you, you've got a well-paying job, you've got a nice apartment, you're about to get a new apartment, and you've got these options that, with the money you're making, it gives you flexibility to really kind of do what you need. And if it is a case of having something in the UK, it could even just be going down that remote investor route, because um, so so many property investors do come from China because of the money yeah. that is associated with it. And um, Yeah, um, definitely. Property investing is something that I'm actually looking at, because... I've always wanted to like flip properties, you know, you buy like a rundown shack, uh, redo it and then like sell it on. Um, but obviously not living in the UK, I wouldn't be eligible for a mortgage. So I would have to buy something outright. So I think I need to start looking at more investing opportunities to 
make the most out of the money that I have rather than just leaving it in the bank doing nothing. Yeah. Well, there, there's still so many, so many options, so many stories, so many avenues for you to go down, Steph. And I've, I think, you know, it'd be good to get you back on and talk more about it um, somewhere down the line, see where your adventures take you over the next um, few months. But yeah. <laughs> what I'm going to do is do my, my quick fire questions. These are, right. these are, these are questions just want you to get off the top of your head. And these are things that you could offer as advice to people thinking of traveling or coming to China. So trying to think too much, but what advice would you give yourself before you came out to China so many years ago? What would be that piece of advice? Um, do everything that you want to do. Don't let fear stop you from doing things that you really want to do. Cause that's something that I did. I, I would want to do something and I'd be like too scared to do it. So I would say, just do it. Just do everything you want to do for sure. Yeah, no, love it. Um, yeah. item that you wish you took with you, but you forgot. Oh my God. Oh my God. Oh <laughs> no. Um, item I took with me, but I wish I forgot. No, yeah. item that you, that you wish you took with you, but you forgot to take it. Oh my gosh. I don't think that, I don't think there was anything. You think um, you brought everything you needed? I think everything that I reasonably could have brought. Yes. Yes. There were some things that were difficult to get hold of in China, but especially for girls. <laughs> um, yes. But I wouldn't necessarily say that's something that I, f I w forgot to bring. Like, what am I going to do? Bring like a year's worth of tampons? <laughs> Not really. <laughs> uh, I, 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 were female care products like that, were they difficult to get hold of? In Wenzhou, extremely difficult. In Shanghai, less difficult, but it's not as easy as in the UK. Like in the UK, you can just walk into a booth or like any chemist and they'll have them. But in China, the tampons are like very specialist. You can get uh, like pads anywhere. Yeah. Any little corner shop will have pads. But tampons, you've still got to get them on Taobao or you've got to go to like the import stores to buy them and they're really expensive. So if you're going to come to China, try and bring as many as you can. <laughs> if you're a woman, bring as many as you can. <laughs> And just spiraling off from that, then I'll go back to my questions. That also reminded me that how difficult it was to get, as a man, get antiperspirant deodorant in Wenzhou. Um, yeah. Apparently, I, I don't know whether or not this is true, I read an article that was saying that apparently it is because um, um, Chinese people do not um, produce BO as much as Westerners do. And yeah, um, yeah so bring, yeah. bring deodorant. That's what I'm going to say. Yeah, for sure. They sweat a lot less and their sweat doesn't smell. Yeah. What, what, what bless, what bless. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Did you, have you got a favorite phrase that you've learned while being out in China? <laughs> <laughs> that was also my favorite <laughs> phrase. Such a foreigner phrase. I laugh every time I hear it. That and, uh, which is like whenever it means a little bit. And like, if any Chinese person asks a foreigner, like, Oh, do you speak Chinese? And the foreigner says, that means no, really. It means you don't speak any Chinese. You just want to pretend you do. So you're going to say Ethiopian. That's yeah. it. <laughs> and that's something that's you get dying. Is there a song that you have on your playlist that is special to you whilst out in China or reminds you of home? Um, there's a song. Uh, I actually, I first heard it when I was in Wenzhou. So it sticks with me. It's called uh, Already Gone by Sugarland. It's like an American band. <laughs> I love country music. That's my favorite. So, um, and I just have like memories of driving around in Wenzhou along the empty mountain roads, the sun and the breeze, like in my face, listening to this, like a country song. And I was like, Oh, 
I'm just so happy right now. <laughs> so every time I hear that song, it takes me back to Wenzhou and like driving in the mountain roads and all the like dust, picking up all the dust off the side of the road. And I just love that. I love it. Oh, and final question. You're staying in Shanghai, you're teaching in Shanghai, but what country are you heading off to next? And what country is on your wish list? Okay, what country? Oh, interesting okay. question. Country. Uh, am I allowed to say as a country? Um, <laughs> I'm going to Hong Kong on Monday, and then I'm going to Taipei. So <laughs> your opinion on if they're separate countries is your own opinion. I'm not going to comment on that. But those are the places that I'm going to. <laughs> um, country on my wish list. My dream vacation, I think I would say, was Bora Bora, which Bora. is... Yeah, it's a set of islands in the French Polynesia. Oh my god, it looks unbelievable. And I'll probably never go there because it's ridiculously expensive. It'll cost like ten grand a night, something ridiculous like that. I know, I know, it's so ridiculous the price. Um, somewhere more realistic, I would say I've always wanted to go to Russia. That's, That's realistic now, is it? Yeah, Russia's realistic. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I'll wait until I probably move back to the UK because I'll be closer then but yeah I've always had an interest in Russia and I always wanted to learn Russian so yeah same here actually it has always been that kind of uh, fascination with it but um yeah I learned how to say goodbye and uh thank you and that's, yeah. that's it das it's a very lovely language yeah, my friend speaks Russian, and I only know Spasiba because he sent it to me just in type, and it read Spacebar. And I was like, why are you saying Spacebar? Like, why are you just typing Spacebar, you weirdo? And he's like, no, it's Spasiba. It's Russian. It's like, uh, potato, potato. <laughs> Literally. But that, that is what I'd just like to say, Steph, thank you for giving up your evening, and thank you for having a chat and seeing seeing my face and letting me see yours. Yeah. I know what a privilege you get to see my face. I know. Well, I hope I hope to see it a bit more, but I'm I'm looking forward to seeing your bougie lifestyle on Instagram as you go around Hong Kong and then Taipei. I'm living vicariously through you, so you need to get yourself back here. Well, well, I maybe, maybe I will. I mean, you're you're, you're painting such a pretty picture, but <laughs> I've um. There's nothing in China at all. No problems here. Whatever. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to get on, but again, I don't want to upstage you being being a better teacher. You know, I've got like five years experience now. Now to your one, come on. Well, I'll just <laughs> go back to Wenzhou. I'll just go back there. I'll, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll be head of their marketing team again. Yeah, you'll be head of the curriculum. <laughs> yeah, I'll do that. I'll live my best life. Thank you for joining us today. And if you enjoyed this episode, please consider subscribing to the Tales from Travellers podcast to stay up to date on past and future episodes. I'm always looking to share new stories from expats and repats from all over the world. So please reach out if you'd like to share your story. You never know, your story could be the one that helps someone make that life-changing choice. You can find us on Instagram at Tales from Travellers. I'd love to hear your story, and more importantly, I'd love to share it with the world. I look forward to hearing from you, but thanks again for joining me, and until next time, happy travels. <laughs>